and welcome to the American Scouser podcast. If you're listening to us on Spotify or iTunes or your favorite podcast station, now you do have a chance to see the ugly mugs that go with the sounds. Uh, so you can check us out on YouTube as we record live every Monday night, as well as our Facebook page and probably soon in the Let's See America Facebook group as well. I am your host, Timuchin, as always, and with me is our usual crew. With the new away jersey I see over there, Galley is with us. Galley, what's happening? What's happening, guys? All good over here. I am. Uh, it's been a hectic week, and it's only going to get more hectic for Liverpool, looks like. But speaking of a hectic man, as always, Paul Bickler is with us. Paul, what's happening? Greetings. Great to be here. Gentlemen, we have a lot to get to this week. So we'll start with uh, covering the game from yesterday. Uh, talk a bit about that. I think it brought out a lot of more topics that I know we kind of like talked about uh, kind of like offline in our Discord channel as well as in like various Facebook groups, obviously American Scousers Facebook group and LFC America. So we'll get to that as well. Uh, let's start with the game. Um, oh, actually, hold on. Even before we get to the game, Let's get to our weekly trivia that I kind of forgot about last week. Uh, so we have it this week. So this week's question is, with the Champions League starting this Wednesday, is a Champions League question, our top three goal scorers in Champions League? In the correct order, ideally, of course. Uh, so, as always, Bickler, we throw you under the bus first. Who do you have? God, dude. <clears throat> oh, man. I've got to, like, sub in late on these, so I miss trivia. Um, I'm going to get a lot of shit because I feel like the old-timers are going to think this is disrespectful, but I feel like the top three is players that we currently have, just based on the one year we wore the orange jerseys and scored six a game. Um I will go – dude, I should know this because they put this on the screen every Champions League year. Uh, I'm going to go uh, Mo, Sadio Mane, and Bobby in that order, which feels like a cop-out, and it feels really wrong. So I'll let you guys finish it up. And it is wrong. Uh, Gally, what do you have? <laughs> uh, I, I don't think Paul's that far off, but I don't think he had the right order. I think it's um, it's Mane. Is it Mane Mo Gerard? It is actually Gerard is still on top. I feel like this could be the season that Mo takes over. Uh, Gerard has thirty. Uh, Mo has twenty six, and Mane has nineteen. Uh, and right afterwards is actually Bobby with sixteen goals. But my guess would be. Uh, this will be the season, or at least let's hope uh, this is the season that Mo does take over as number one and score some goals. Uh, I mean, with the group stage and stuff, we have several games coming up over here. So that was our trivia. We got the answer out of the way fast, too, because I kind of like want to get to the Champions League lineup and talk a lot about that. But speaking of lineups, let's first talk about this weekend's lineup against Leeds. I know when we were kind of like speculating uh, once again, we were way off because uh, I don't think any of us kind of saw Henderson and Milner being on the bench and not starting. Uh, so, Gally, let's go to you with this one first. Uh, what did you make of that starting 11 when we started? I was a little confused. I was surprised to not see Hendo or Milner in the starting lineup, seeing that both were fit enough to be on the bench. Uh, and the fact Henderson was the first one on the pitch. I thought Tiago was bright. Uh, he played well. I thought that he, he created and dictated a lot of the action on the pitch. I was just a little shocked to see Harvey given a start again. Uh, we're going to get to Harvey, I'm sure, not because of his play, uh, just because he was sent home with a little bit of a knock from the under-21s with England, um, and he's played so much so early in the season it just seemed like it was time to rotate a little bit in the midfield, but uh, we know all the manager loves to stick with a hot hand, and Harvey was the hot hand. 
Yeah, we'll get to Harvey because that whole situation, I think, opened up a lot more other discussions that I do want to get to. Uh, Paul, what did you make of this midfield with Fab, Thiago, and Elliot? I mean, I think everything else kind of writes itself down in the lineup right now for starting 11. Obviously, going into this weekend, now that we have midweek games, we might have some changes there. But uh, what do you make? What did you make of this like starting trio for the midfield? So, yeah, I mean, so I wasn't shocked that Henderson wasn't in there just because I think Klopp is going to be very careful with his minutes this year. And he traditionally doesn't like to put Jordan out there for a full 90 after international break. Um, so I wasn't completely shocked to see no um, no Henderson. I, don't, I honestly don't think we're going to see a whole lot of Milner this year. I mean, I think he'll get rotated in, but, like, at this point I think he's, like, He's working on his managing badges. I think he's, like, prepping to be a manager. He's, like, a bench coach at this point. Um, I was surprised to see Thiago out there, to be quite honest. I just didn't think – I thought he was going to continue to kind of ease him into the lineup. Um, but then the longer I thought about it, the more I thought about, well, he's probably not chomping at the bit to get uh, Navi out there, given the situation um, in his home country and having to get him out of there. And then um, – <clears throat> You know, I don't know how far along Chris Jones is either. And he hasn't really even hit um, a whole lot of minutes in terms of easing him back in the lineup. So the more I thought about it, the more I, it probably makes sense that Thiago is one of the last men standing in that position. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, on, on surface, it's kind of a shocking lineup. But I think when you kind of break it down into what we're dealing with, it probably wasn't as shocking as people thought. Yeah, it's interesting you say that about Milner, actually, because I know when we were talking about the lineups, I almost – saw Milner in that 11 because I did not see Elliot just because of leads and how they play and how we would need to play and honestly aside from like the whole Elliot situation and that injury it, it was just like total domination it just made it look like an easy game I mean we had a ton of chances I mean you look at like the numbers from like this weekend's game and I mean it was and that's one thing I want to ask you guys, because was it how, I mean, we knew how, we know how Leeds plays, right? I mean, they're going to, you know, high energy, they're going to press and stuff. I, was it like the, the team we had on the field that was able to kind of like break down that press so easily it felt because on Thiago and Fabinho being out there? Or was Leeds just not as good as they used to be? What's your take, Ali? Because it felt like, we were able to break that press very easily. And the moment you can, there's all kinds of space behind, obviously. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. Leeds has taken a step back from the team that we saw last season. Uh, I mean, they have one point through four matches. They're struggling, not playing well. And they haven't really been creating great opportunities as they showed against us, even when it was 11 on 11. It could have easily been 3 nothing at the half, I thought. Uh, had Mane been able to pull that ball back that Jota had took to the baseline, or if Mo had put that first one in that he had the opportunity on. So I think both sides, um, Liverpool was running rampant on them, but I think you hit on it. I think Fabinho and Thiago in midfield, we talked earlier about what it was going to look like when we got our you know optimal midfield together of Henderson, Thiago, and Fabinho. And I think we saw exactly how good that midfield can be with class players like Tiago and Fabinho playing together. And as great as Harvey was, I think it can get even better when it's in sync with the players in front of him. And the way Jordan moves the ball, how quick he moves it, I, I think there's some really special football to come. It's just going to take a little bit before they're all ready to play. How about you, Paul? Are you kind of shocked that it was, at least they made it seem a lot easier than we thought it was going to be. I mean, I considered this to be a really tough away game uh, just because of the environment that the stadium creates, uh, the team, and the way they play, like, physically. Uh, were you kind of shocked to see how smooth it went? Well, I mean, yeah, definitely the environment is, is something to worry about, right? But, I mean, this is just – a lead team that isn't in the kind of form they were coming into last year. And I think if you'd watched them prior to our game, 
they haven't necessarily lit anybody up or looked nearly as dangerous as they had. Like, you know, even when they were losing 4-3 to teams last year, they were just creating absolute havoc. And they haven't done that this year, you know. So, I mean, they're drawing Burnley and drawing Everton and, you know, losing by four to United. It's not a great start. It doesn't look like the team that we saw last year. Um, And I'm not, you know, there hasn't been a ton of turnover on that team. Uh, so I'm not real sure, you know, not sure what's up with that. Um, you know, maybe it's just going to take some time for them to gel again. I don't know, but they, they haven't looked anywhere near it um, compared to last year. And on the flip side, I mean, we've got like our full lineup in terms of our, our, our back line is, is pretty much back and solidified. And that I think is a real game changer for us. You know, um, Harvey's been an interesting player for us just because I think none of us, I think all of us considered him a front three player before the season kicked off, right? I think we were all kind of shocked to see him plugged in the midfield. And we and the worry was, is he good enough defensively to play in the midfield? And the answer is, it, it hasn't mattered, um, simply because he's created such a good partnership with both Trent and Mo. Uh, you can tell that Mo really loves to play with him. Um, and I think that, that sort of triangular partnership on the right side of the pitch has been, been really, really good and kind of makes his, his injuries his injury even a little bit more devastating just based on the, the run of the last couple of games. And in terms of performances, Gally, which one sticks out to the most? Uh, in, I mean, for me, or, or let me start, let me ask, pick your brain first in terms of like who you would make man of the match in this game. I thought there were like some brilliant performances throughout and some like, you know, uh, head shaking ones, but uh, where do you go with it? So I, you know, it's hard to put anything on a defender in a match where, you know, they didn't have much to do. I thought that once again, Joel Matip was class all over the pitch, going forward, making passes, stepping up, breaking up play. I thought him and Virgil actually helped with the press all match long and it set the tone. Uh, I thought Fabinho was everywhere, but I thought Jota created so many opportunities and really should have had at least two assists and maybe a goal of his own. Um, and Mo's just Mo at this point. I just feel like you wind the guy up, he goes, he scores goals. He creates more opportunities and takes more shots than everybody else. I mean, once again, he had more touches in the box than anyone else in the Premier League. Uh, but Jota creating, I think it was six um, opportunities, including uh, two major chances. Uh, that both basically mean should have been put away. Uh, I think Jota was really, really good once again, and he played all over the pitch, which is always nice to see. Yeah, he did have, and I know this was like asked in like one of the groups, and I know you're a very vocal uh, person about this, Bickler. Meanwhile, uh, Jamie is uh, wondering if we've ever seen Bickler and Bamford in the same room. And the glasses aren't fooling anyone. And and I know Bickler is a huge fan of uh, Bamford. But uh, so the question that comes with obviously every time uh, Jota does well. Hold on. Let's let's address the thing with Jamie first. I would never turn an opportunity to attend Harvard down. That's how you know I'm not Patrick Bamford. (laughs) Nor can I speak seven languages or play the violin. So, I mean, I think anybody that looked at me knows that that's not in my wheelhouse. So we can put that one to bed. But I would, I would hang out with Patrick Bamford under a bridge, for sure. We'll let you get to that with him. But okay, so uh, let me ask you this: <laughs> while you dream of hanging out, sounds with awesome. Bamford. I will. Very <laughs> back. I, I'm gonna pass. Uh, I'm gonna have something else to do that day. But uh, so let me ask you this: because every time Diego, Yang, we talk about Jota's performances and how he does well with this front three, obviously the the first question everybody says, especially for those who maybe perhaps not see the value of Bobby uh, or, you know, complain about his lack of scoring and stuff like that is, you know, will Bobby just come be able to come back into his role or has he lost the spot to Jota? I know you see Bobby as a unicorn, as you like to call it. Uh, so what's your take on that? I figured you would want to spill your guts on that one. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just think that, like, they're two completely different players. Like, I think that I think if we boil this down and actually look at our acquisition of Jota, he was bought to be 
backup for Sadio Mane, a left-sided attacking player that can play all three. And I think he just found his niche in the center uh, when we needed him to, when Bobby was fighting fitness and form. Um, and that's not to say Jota can't do a job in the middle. He can. It's just a very different job. If you look at that heat map that we had and the chances created, his starting position is much higher than Bobby's is ever going to be. Uh, Bobby's is going to sink right into almost the, the center circle, even if we're attacking. Um, because essentially what he does is he triggers the counter, which is, to me, where we're at our most devastating. He is our best presser. Um, I used to think that Adam Milano was our best pressing uh, player, uh, but I think Bobby is definitely the best pressing player that we have, our best, uh, our first defender out of the gate. Um, and I think what people can't wrap their head around is somebody who wears the number nine, whose primary responsibility isn't scoring goals. Um, obviously, he's to put them away when he's in front of the net and they fall to him. But his job really is to trigger the counter and create the space that's necessary for Sadio and Mo to run in behind. And essentially, Mane and Mo are our strikers for all intents and purposes. When you look at how that formation settles out on a heat map, they are the two guys up front. Bobby's sunk way in at the heart of that midfield. So I just think they're totally two different players. Um, I don't think there's a team in the world that wouldn't trip over themselves to, to get Bobby if they could. So... Okay, let me stay with you on this. Uh, which teams would you play Bobby against and which teams would you play Jota against? Because it does seem tricky to have them both on the field at the same time without affecting the midfield. Um, I just think, I think who you play, whether it's Bobby or Jota, has actually more to do with how you want to set your midfield up than it does who the opponent is. Um, if we're sinking in with an anchor, um, I still think that Bobby's your guy because he eats up that space in front of Fab um, and, and triggers the counter. But if you want more of a traditional number nine who's a more of a direct threat and somebody who's going to run, like say you're, you're playing a team that lacks pace in the back line, I think it probably makes more sense to have Jota if I'm going to pick between the two. But honestly, there's not a whole lot of teams that I'd start Jota over Bobby on. Um, I think Jota is just as effective off the bench, if not more so. You can plug him in any one of the three positions, and he's effective. So you don't necessarily have to plug him in for Bobby. Um, and that's kind of why I like uh, Jota off the bench, just because he's got that versatility. Um, and I think is like if I'm a defender – that is the guy I don't want to see coming off the bench just because I know he's going to be running directly at me for the next 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. I think that what they bring off the bench probably suits Jota more than Bobby. So, Gally, let me come to you now. So, what is your take on it in terms of, like, Bobby's spots still in the lineup? And, like, same question to you, I guess. You know, which teams would you prefer, Bobby over Jota or vice versa? Well, I I don't feel that anyone's spot in this lineup is – I think it's kind of been proven with this Harvey Elliott – I don't like to call it experiment, but what we've witnessed over the course of this season is that no spot in this lineup is guaranteed to anyone for any amount of time. And what you're doing in training and on the pitch gets you on. And I think right now you're not going to see Jota removed as long as they're playing the way they are and he's creating chances for his teammates. Uh, if if Sadio Mane stops – you know doesn't start creating more goal opportunities based on the amount of chances he's getting. I think he'll find himself getting some rotation as well. It won't just be Bobby. Um, but I think Jota has really supplanted himself as almost an everyday 11 player. His uh, statistics since joining Liverpool is basically he either assists or scores a goal every 114 minutes. It's one of the fastest of any player that's ever come to the club with more than 20 appearances. And I know stats can be misleading, but when you look at heat maps like we had yesterday and the fact that he's created more chances this year than any other player on the, on the club, um, I think he's going to get opportunities. He's young. They bought him for a reason. And he might be the first piece of the turnover. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, it would be a good problem to have when we get Bobby back, especially with the games coming in thick and fast with, like, Champions League and stuff like that. And I think that's why the injury to Harvey was devastating uh, in terms of timing. And 
just the fact that you know the kid I, he just i don't know if he would feel as bad i would obviously we would feel bad to any of our players but almost like had like an extra effect to it on the team as well i thought the moment it happened uh kind of like entire mood and concentration level slightly changed even though we were going against like 10 men uh just because of like the kid the way he is and I was like listening to Klopp earlier where, you know, everybody sees him almost like as a little brother. So it's almost like more devastating to kind of see that happen to a kid like that. And it was horrible. But let's go with the situation first. Paul, is that a red card? Yeah, of course. I mean, so I brought my therapist into this last week, right? And I know Angie, your wife, really loved this, right? So I brought this, I brought this pod into my therapy session this week, just to even, just to keep it even and have you guys in both, both sections. And my therapist is overjoyed that I'm involved in this pod because, and I was like, why are you so excited about this? You know? And she was like, well, I mean, I think it's an appropriate format for you to be overly dramatic. And, um, which, you know, like an idiot, I said, thanks. I mean, it's kind of like when you're at the airport and they're like, have a nice flight. And you're like, you too. You know, it doesn't make any sense, but like, that's what I was like, thanks. Like, so like, I'm going to try not to be overly dramatic about this, but, um, because apparently that's an issue I have, uh, in my relationships. But anyway, um, like for me, for me, like, it's like any time that you go in on a player from behind and you do damage, like, it's like, I don't even know how you can be shocked that you get a straight red. Like, I mean, it seems like. It seems to me, in my experience playing and watching the game, there are, there are really two tackles that, for the most part, and careers. Studs up and from behind. And, like, one of those gets regulated fairly significantly and harshly. And, you know, anytime there's studs up or anyone goes two-footed on anyone, it's a straight red, no questions asked. And for whatever reason, especially this year, players are playing through on the ground. Players are sliding from everywhere and anytime you do that especially with a trailing leg you always have the chance to catch somebody and roll somebody out under like that and it it's it shouldn't be surprising i don't know why like i think with studs up and two-footed challenges we can say straight red and feel good about it because we think that player had to have some sort of intent there right and with going in from behind we're like well he was just trying to get the ball and he didn't get it well like we're like what is it we're, we're taught that you don't judge intent on those types of plays, right? You don't judge intent. It's either a foul or it's not. And like for me, going in from behind is clearly a dangerous situation. You know, we talked about it in our Discord channel about the horse collar tackle in football, and it's very similar. It's just the angle. If you catch somebody under like that, you're going to do severe damage to either their knee or their ankle. See, I'm going to play the devil's advocate here, and some of the our listeners who are commenting are saying the same. So Sparky Parky, which is a catch now, I'm going to have to say, uh, says, uh, you know, he didn't think it was a red. And that's this is my thing, is if Harvey does not get injured there, is the game even stopping? Because he didn't call anything till you know, you could see Mo's reaction, and Mo just told you lost it, and then the game stopped based on Mo's reaction alone. Is it's even a card, leave alone a violation, if Harvey doesn't get injured? Well, look, we're in the fucking gutter if we're going to judge whether something's a foul on whether it gets called or not. Is well, that right? that's true. But, okay, so like, I understand that. But my thing is, you know, or let me reverse the situation. If the same tackle happens, because Fab does this sometimes, where he'll almost like half slide into a ball and almost like trap the ball and get up with the ball. And, you know, obviously, ideally not getting the player. But, you know, like, for example, this game, he did get part of the player and he actually got a yellow for that. I think it was only like the 15th minute or something like that. I mean, if Fab did that, would we find it fair to get a red card? I'm just playing the total devil's advocate over here. I, per I personally don't like it when Fab does it either. I Like, I don't like – I know he's ours. I don't love it. I mean – his, like, he does a really good job of, like, doing it in situations where he's got a better percentage chance of getting the ball. But for me, it's about protecting the players. You don't, you don't go in on a player like that. Like, the percentage of somebody getting significantly injured is so much higher on that tackle. It's so much higher. 
Like, and I don't, you know, like it doesn't matter what sport you're playing. You protect the players against, like, you know, like you, Sparky's right. This isn't basketball, right? I don't, I mean, I didn't look like a basketball player to me anyway, but like, I, I just don't understand. Like, to me, it, I just don't even know how it's up for debate, man. You go in from behind from somebody and you catch them, like it's a foul. If it's a straight red, you can look at what was actually said about that. And they took it to VAR and they judge it as a straight red based on the force that was involved in the play. Okay. So not from that he was from behind, but it was because they had judged it to be egregious force. Now, I don't agree with that. I think it's a straight red if you catch somebody from behind and they're funky, their ankles dang, dangling like that. I mean, it just is. And like, that's just part of it. Like, do I think he gets a straight red if Elliot's in, like not injured? Of course I don't. Do I agree with that? No. I don't agree with the way Paulson ref that game in its entirety at all. Like, I didn't think he did a good job. Like, he wasn't even going to call the one on Sadio Mane. Like, so, like, which in my opinion was just as dangerous. So, it's not the fact that Elliot got hurt for me. It's the fact that that has been going on. And Klopp nailed it post game. He said, that shit's been going on all year. It happened every 15 minutes in the Burnley match. Just as dangerous. And it's only a matter of time until that happens. And I think that's the issue. I think the whole reason we are discussing it in the first place, kind of like comparing it, is because of the inconsistency of the calls. And I thought, I can't remember how long ago, as you get older, this memory just fades away. But, uh, you know, the slide tackle from behind was automatically a card, right? So it's somehow something changed where, oh, like, you know, you can even see players saying, like, oh, the ball, like they point to the ball the ball like changes direction and stuff suddenly as long as you get the ball it became okay i mean that burnley game is a great example where there were sliding tackles flying all over the freaking place because that's how freaking burnley plays and uh, you know and some other like there are specific players who play like that and i think the inconsistency of how those are called opens the door for those tackles so if you know hey if i slide but if i get the ball i'm good you're going to roll the dice and you're probably going to slide. If you know, if I slide from the back, even if I get the ball, at the very least, I'm going to see a yellow. I think it kind of like affects your decision making. I mean, would you agree to that, Galley? It's not necessarily maybe the rule written out, but how it's enforced and how it has been changed in terms of how it's enforced. Yeah, well, I, I think we've seen a changing of how rules are being enforced right now from across the board in the Premier League. Klopp's talked about it. We've talked about it. We're seeing a more physical game, and it's leading to players getting caught in between being aggressive and, and, and ultimately being reckless. And that's what I think we saw with Struke. I think he genuinely went in to make an aggressive play on the ball and ended up making a reckless challenge where he came through and he caught the back trailing leg. And unfortunately he turned the kid's ankle to the point that the ankle turned the wrong way. Do I think he would have got a red card under any circumstance if his, if the play wasn't halted? I don't. And I also don't believe that VAR would have went back afterwards, saw that on replay and called that a red card. They upheld a red card. It was actually announced today by the PGMOL that the red card was handed out on the field. The initial play by Pawson, he didn't catch it. But it was after Mo stopped the play, the fourth official who saw it clearly right in front of him said there was reckless force and that it was warranted a red card. And then VAR upheld the decision, which was why Strook was so upset asking when they were going to review it. Um, I think it had to be a red card because it was reckless and dangerous. I do think you're onto something. I think we would have saw it differently through Liverpool tinted glasses had it been fab on XYZ player of some other team. And I agree with Paul. There would have been some that saw it as a fair challenge, but there would have been people arguing that uh, all red cards go against us and everyone's out to get us. And, you know, and I think that's the start. Let's really be real here. The official was terrible. He lost control of the match within 20 minutes. There were tackles flying around, including what should have been a yellow minimum, if not a red on the challenge on Mane earlier. And the Leeds fans are despicable. So it makes the entire action and everything that's happening around it 
even harder to deal with as an 18-year-old kid's lying on the pitch, and you have a group of grown, drunken, lathered-up supporters, you know, chanting obscenities at him and, you know, calling the victim card once again. So, you know, Leeds really didn't cover themselves in any glory yesterday. Uh, and I think that at the end of the day, the Premier League officials have to look themselves in the mirror and figure out what they're doing, or we're going to see more broken ta- broken leg tackles. So why do you think, Paul, they are kind of like trying to change that? Because I do not agree with the, oh, this is, I mean, I understand what, you know, like one of the commentators is saying in terms of like, oh, it's a man's game, it's not basketball. But it still has to be, it can't still be reckless, and it can't still be, with the intention to ball or the guy and with no like consequences. I mean, is it only a way to kind of like level the playing field between a, cause I mean, it only benefits the team that is lower in skill level is the way I see it. I mean, if you take that away from a team like Burnley, uh, they're probably dead last. Cause that is all they do is trying to like rough their way. And I think, you know, we've all played the game. We've all played against teams where, they pretty much suck and they're hoping they can physically beat you to a win because they know, you know, in terms of soccer skill, they can't. I think that's fair. Like, and I think we could see this, like, I don't know. This is shit I would expect in the lower divisions, right? Like league one, league two, even in the championship, I expect to go to some shitty team in East London in like just weather a bunch of racism and terrible fans and see people go in trying to hurt people right and that's not to say the leads guy was you know is trying to hurt harvey i don't i don't i don't think there was any malice or intent in the tackle but like the problem is is that the barometer for this was set very early in the season we talked about it under over the burnley match if they continue to referee games the way they refereed our match with burnley people are going to get hurt this year and the problem with that is is like you have the best league in the world chock full stars do we want to see well, Ronaldo's not a good example. I definitely want to see that happen to Ronaldo. But, like, do we want to see other teams' best players have this happen to them every week? I don't. Like, I want to see the best players in the world playing against each other, you know? Like, I don't want to see these mm-hmm. guys going in on each other, um, knee-high studs up or from behind. Like, and, and I just think, like, the thing that's frustrating to me is that this is just um, mirroring what we've done with VAR. But, like, we did – we set this precedent – and then the pendulum swings all the way to the other side when we want to make a correction. I don't understand why we can't make adjustments to play in increments. I don't understand why we have to do these dramatic changes. Like, okay, we want to, like, have more flow in the game. Well, that was because you guys were whistling for fucking everything every five minutes. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, like, dude, going in on somebody from behind, yeah, let's call that, right? Or, you know, I think what we were talking about was, hey, let's let the game flow. Let's maybe call an offsides when the guy's clearly offsides and not wait for the play to go over and score a goal and have it chalked off when you should have flagged five minutes earlier. Like, let's get our shit together. Like, it, this should be common sense. And I feel like we just – there's no consistency across the board, um, across any of the referees and how we call things, except for the fact that we were going to let a lot of stuff go this year, uh, which was very apparent after the Burnley match. And, my, like, that's just my – like – This is the reality of what we talked about at the end of that Burnley match. We were afraid somebody was going to get seriously injured. And unfortunately, it was our young, our young lad, you know, went out there and just got blown up. I think it makes refereeing very difficult, too, because it's a lot, you know, we're talking about uh, controlling the game and like kind of like losing control of the game. It's a lot easier to lose control of the game if you start, you know, with the direction of letting some tackles go. Because we know that's just going to escalate more and more and more. I mean, if I, like, you know, kick the ball and somebody just slides underneath, I mean, like I say, we've all played the game. You turn around, you take the license plate number. What is it? 18? Okay, so next time you come over here, buddy, you're going to get the same treatment. And it gets worse and worse and worse as the game goes. Because, I mean, as a ref, what do they do? If they feel it's getting out of control, you know, you show a yellow card and set the standard and say, hey, I'm not going to take this. Well, if the direction given to you is kind of like, well, let some of these tackles go. I mean, it's a lot, very gray area. So it's a lot easier for the game to get out of whack with injuries or hard fouls and stuff like that. And suddenly, you know, escalate from like zero to 90 
So do you see, um, like Jamie saying, you know, it's midseason, they won't change rules. I know they've kind of like adjusted them in the past. How many injuries do you think it's going to take Galley before they take a look? Because I have not seen, apart from Sean Douche of Burnley, uh, I have not seen a lot of managers happy about it, saying like, oh, yeah, this is great. We're loving this because the game really going. <laughs> Just keep I, sliding. <laughs> do I think that they'll make an announcement that they're going to make a change to this? I don't. Will the referees and their higher officials maybe talk to the lead match officials and talk about ways they can call matches uh, a little bit tighter, a little bit cleaner. I think they will. Um, let's be real here though. What we've seen so far is what they said. The problem is to Paul's point, which was spot on. We go from zero to a hundred. They were trying to get soft fouls out of the penalty box and players rolling around, you know, doing their best Neymar impersonations here in the Premier League. And that was really what they were looking to avoid. Soft penalties, too many VAR decisions. You know, last year was the record number of penalties awarded, taken, and made in the Premier League. And I think they wanted to make sure that that didn't increase this year. So what did they stop doing? They stopped calling fouls in the center of the pitch. Is basically, if you're from one third to the other third, it's basically 1985 at times. And, you know, to the point that we made earlier about things getting out of control, anyone who got up early enough to watch Tottenham capitulate against Crystal Palace on Saturday morning saw a prime example. The fact that Tanganya didn't get a straight red for one taking an NFL tackle to Zaha, then grabbing him by the throat and then pushing him twice he only got a yellow, and then 10 seconds later, he still had it in his mind from me to you away to tackle a guy in what would get you a yellow all day, every day, let alone your second yellow. But these players are actually in their mind. They think they can get away with this stuff because they've basically played in the league now for a month that's allowed it. And if they keep allowing it, it will become like a like a schoolyard – soccer matches, football matches. And I think it's really bad for the Premier League because I think it's going to lead to the best players in the world being hurt. And uh, too many players... To in fairness to Taganga, I would love to do that to Zaha. Everyone should probably do that to Zaha. I think his own teammates look like they want to do it. You notice that Zaha was basically himself against Tottenham? Yeah, the Palace was like, oh, dude, you got it. <laughs> but I mean... I had I had just dropped Zaha off my fantasy football team, and of course, he took the penalty. So, speaking of actually, before we get to Ellie, let's touch up on fantasy football real quick over here because there's some major developments over here. Um, freaking Chris Galley over here is uh, now fourth in our league, which no one cares about that. That's fine. Uh, more importantly, uh, I have actually personally moved up to 30 and extended my lead over uh, Mr. Bickler over here, uh, whose team unnecessary pet drama is now 45th. But as Paul will know, we don't care how our teams do. We really care. What I like seeing over there is right above Paul is Kelly Gallivan, <laughs> who we're strongly rooting for to beat Gally in this year's fantasy. If She's there was making a move trading going on, I would give her like, you know, Trent and Sala for like Nico and Ox or something like that. But unfortunately yeah. we can't do that crap. But yeah, uh, way to go, Gally. I see like you're moving on up in the world, but uh, we're rooting for Kelly. I was really excited to see that. So let her know we're Bickler and I are rooting for her because we know our our destiny ends here. So she's she our only chance, man. She's our only chance. <laughs> I only hope. Yeah. So let's get back to Elliot Bickler. What does this do for Elliot himself, and I guess for us as Liverpool? Well, you know, I thought about this, and I woke up this morning, and you know, obviously, I'm a glass half full guy. So I was thinking of the positives when I woke up this morning. You are and a half glass full guy. Can we just go with this, please? I was in the oh, middle of that. Dude, the therapist. So, we don't have to get his therapist on the line right now. Yeah. Uh, okay, go on. Sorry. I'm, to, I'm trying to have a positive mental attitude here, and you're fucking it up big time. Um, 
So anyway, I was like, this at least assures that Henderson never plays on the left side of the midfield again, hopefully. So like, that's my glass half full take on that is that maybe this just assures that Henderson will be on that right side and, you know, Thiago's ready. He, he's going to, Thiago's going to, you know, pump into that left side. And then there's more minutes available for Cujo now, finally, you know, cause he was on the outside looking in, uh, you know, maybe like lightning will strike twice and Ox will come on and be a world beater. I'm not counting on that, but this is going to give opportunities for Nabby, Ox, Curtis Jones, players that we needed to have minutes, players that we needed to kind of step up and, and be in there. And then hopefully it, it's the opportunity to, to put Henderson uh, in his rightful home on that right side of the midfield. How about you, Gally? What's your take on this in terms of um... – I mean, I guess the good thing is the kid is young and it doesn't sound like, I mean, none of us are doctors, but, you know, from what I've read, at least from online doctors, uh, that it's not something that's gonna, it doesn't sound like something that would reoccur all the time, uh, that kind of a muscle injury. Uh, so, but where does it leave us as a team? Because uh, I know the FSG out crew was already uh, just waiting for injuries to happen and now we have another one. We, we got an injury to a kid that most people thought might still get loaned out with two weeks left to go in the window. So, I mean, let's be real. He played amazing for three games, and I love what he did. But if our season and title hopes and European aspirations were down to a 19-year-old kid or an 18-year-old kid at Liverpool Football Club, then we're in trouble. I think it's terrible what happened, and I think that – he will come back strong. He shows great mentality from giving his jersey to the injured kid in the hospital bed next to him to putting up the posts on social media, talking about um, watching the game. You know, he shows and has said all the right things, even the social media posts saying that it wasn't a red card and that the guy had nothing to apologize for. It was just a hard play and a bad break. I mean, the kid has said everything right. And I think we're going to see that same amount of effort and enthusiasm um, through his rehab. And I forget who it was on our Discord channel today, but none of us are going to have to worry about knowing how he's doing because he's under the age of 20 and he is going to document the shit out of this rehab. We are going to see more Harvey Elliott than we ever thought we ever could get a hold of. Or a whiff of like the old way do they get a load of me? Like that will be Harvey Elliott just every day, like giving everybody the update. If we thought we saw Ox, I'm just hoping Harvey's better half is as good looking as the one that Ox has in all of his social media posts. I think she is, but we won't go there on live. <laughs> live you know what I'm gonna say, as long as he's not on the fucking stairs with stop. Yes, that almost gave me a heart attack, especially because seeing Ox of all people dancing yes. on freaking because I could envision myself I'm oh, like breaking my head. Not carpet, marble. But... Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about this because Sparky Parky is bringing up, and I know we kind of like talked about it during the game as well. because uh, in terms of the style of play and what you know we kind of like wanted Elliot to bring to the field. If you look at the squad, the probably the closest player I would say is Ox in many ways, right? Uh, in terms of being able to kind of like drive at players, you know, uh, kind of take players on. And Ox also brings like the threat of like, you know, shooting from outside and stuff like that. But he did look pretty horrendous, I would say. And I know, you know, he came in. He is it just because he's like very lost and confused or is he like trying too hard to kind of show his worth within a limited time. And sometimes the harder you try, the worse you look. Bickler, what do you make out of it? I don't. I don't I don't know what to make out of it. Because I mean like I, I like so here's the thing, right? I think that you might be right. I think that a lot of this is probably mental for Ox because he knows that like he's on borrowed time. And I think that he's probably trying to do too much. But at the same time, like like, I don't understand why he can't play within his limitations, so to speak. Like, if you're coming back and you're not fully fit and you haven't been in the side, like, you need to go ahead and play within your limitations and use the players around you, right? And try, don't try to do too much. The problem I had with not this game, but the game that he started 
where he was so awful for us um, at the beginning of the season is like he he couldn't find his home position on the pitch. He was like everywhere. He was floating all the way centrally to the left. He was all the way all, way on the right touch line. Um, he essentially took himself out of the game by just having really bad positioning, right? And then, like, of course, whenever he got it, it was turn up, turnover after turnover, um, you know. And that's the thing is, like, if you don't have your first touch and you don't have your confidence, you got to have good positioning and use the players you have around him. So he just doesn't have it right now, which is a really, really big shame because to me, he's a little bit like Jota where he's a direct attacker. Like he can directly run at people and he feels very comfortable doing that. But the reason that people should want him to do well and be in that midfield is not only because he's one of ours, but because he's one of the few that can really strike it from range with Fab. Like he can hit it from 20, 25 yards out comfortably. So, I mean, I think, you know, Darren's right. It, 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 it takes time to get back, and it's very hard when your time is a few minutes a game. And unfortunately, he plays for a manager who can't seem to get a substitute in in under 80 minutes, right? Like, so we've talked about Klopp's super late substitution. It's very hard to come into a match and make an impact in 10 minutes. So I don't know, man. He had such a good preseason. I think the casual observer didn't see that. They didn't see how good he was preseason. So – Let's hope we can recapture that. Yeah, Darren O'Connor says like Ox needs match time and getting his confidence back. And Darren actually has a uh, great podcast uh, of himself, like ATX over there. Uh, they have a lot of like good uh, guests and stuff like that. I don't know how much therapy they do, like we do over here, right, Gally? Uh, yeah, but well, you know that's <laughs> that's why you guys <laughs> are therapy. They don't, have, they don't have a co-host like Paul. <laughs> So, Gally, do you agree with that? I mean, do you think if he has more time uh, and, you know, like David Cosgrove uh, says, for example, you know, like get these like games, if they we, we use Norwich game is obviously a good opportunity in terms of rotation. And I think we might see some uh, with the Crystal Palace game, too, especially based on how like a Champions League game goes midweek. Uh, do you think, you know, getting some regular minutes maybe some starts where that pressure of trying to do too much in the 15 minutes that you're in there will that help ox hopefully ideally i i i do hope that it'll help ox and i i i'll agree with david on this you can write that one down um i was gonna ox, say yeah note this you, you don't ox, agree with david ox, gomez, <laughs> ox gomez especially needs starts not just um, spot appearances late in the game. I think Cujo can come in, get you 30 minutes. I don't want to hear a 19-year-old kid needs to get 90 minutes on the pitch to find his legs. You can you can come in and find a role because that's Cujo's job on this team is to play a different differential-making role. I think Gomez is a, was a starter, a first 11 player. I think Ox sees himself as a player when fully fit, could have been fighting had he not been injured for a first 11 spot in his mind at one point. And I think he's the type of player starts from the beginning, finds his way into a game, hopefully nothing like what we saw against Norwich. Cause it was awful. Uh, it was arguably probably one of the worst halves of football I've seen played by a Liverpool player since Jurgen Klopp became the manager. And the fact that he got all the way to halftime actually said something that he didn't want to be embarrassed because he was that bad. And we were all talking about it before the half even happened. And when he got pulled, we knew who was coming off. And I think it was the 50th minute. And for Jurgen to take someone off before the 80th minute, you have to do something really, really bad. <laughs> but to, to the Kanate point, I think Kanate does need minutes. I just think that Matip and Van Dyke look so good and the back line looks so assured that I just don't think that you can uh, touch that starting lineup right now. So let's get to that real quick. Uh, Cause yeah, we've got a lot of discussion going on and it's great. I, I we appreciate these comments uh, coming through like uh, Facebook and YouTube because really adds to the conversation. And I agree with uh, Darren Ox and Keita. I mean, that kind of like Elliot's injury definitely opens the doors for those guys and, you know, gives them an opportunity to kind of, Regain that spot that really should have been there is that Elliot's uh, basically took it away from them with what he did. And he obviously he deserved it as we saw on the field. But so real quick, what do we expect out of these back to back games by the time we get together again on Monday nights, uh, next Monday, same time? Um, 
we will have the Milan game and as well as Crystal Palace at home. So Bickler, let's start with you. What are you expecting out of the lineups? One of them being Wednesday and the other being on Saturday. I personally expect some kind of a rotation, especially in the Crystal Palace game. But where are you at with that? Yeah, I agree. I think you'll see the rotation in the Palace game. Um, you know, maybe Robo gets maybe Robo gets out. Um, I think you're probably going to see some rotation in the mids that game. Um, but I also think they're going to see the core of the team stay. Klopp doesn't really rotate a whole lot. Uh, you know, he uses primarily the same core. So I, I think that the front three will probably stay very similar. Um, I think I think for, for Milan, I think that you're going to see Hendo and Fab in there. Uh, who's the other one? That's the thing. I think for me, I think that Klopp is going to want to save Thiago for Crystal Palace and put Naby in um, versus Milan. Um, it's a little bit of a slower pace. Uh, I mean, maybe they're more disciplined than, than Palace is right now, but I think Palace has still kind of got that physicality um, that he's going to want Thiago in there for over Naby. Um, that's just my guess. And I think, you know, uh, like I could see Rabo getting, getting out for, for a Greek scouser um on saturday for for palace um that's just my guess but who freaking knows how about you galley what do you have in the lineups i actually agree with this is great therapy here i agree with paul and his positive outtake on the lineup but yeah i think uh, it is a better and i don't know if we're gonna have thiago play so many minutes back to back and the fact that you know henderson didn't get as many minutes i thought it was automatically you know him being in the starting lineup in the Champions League, but uh, how do you make these lineups, Gal? Uh, I I I kind of disagree. With one little thing that Paul said earlier. I I think that we're going to see less Milner, but I still think there's going to be some James Milner because I think Jurgen and Klopp loves him some Jimmy. When times get tough, he'll put him in the lineup. I don't know if he'll start the midweek match against Milan. Um, I wouldn't be at all shocked to see one of his ultra conservative uh, Henderson, Fabinho, uh, Milner midfield no, against Atletico Madrid. No. Stop it. It'll happen. No, um, stop it. but the reason I say it is, is, is you know that you know that James Milner started all but three of our matches in the Champions League when fit over the last three seasons. I don't I'll care. I don't, I don't ever want to see Miller and Henderson in the same midfield ever again. I would agree with I, that too. But I'd literally rather start Miller and play Sadio Mane. I, I genuinely <laughs> – well, at one, at one point, Miller would have rather seen himself start and play Sadio Mane. Here goes the positive Bickler, by the but way. But, yeah, the positive – we, we can get the therapist <laughs> back on the line. Get you her back on up. the line. You fucked it um, up. I got to go now. But it – he 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 starts him. He starts him in European games. He starts him in knockout competitions. He starts him when he needs metal on the field, and I think that a game like this could call for that. I wouldn't be surprised if he found a role playing against AC Milan at some point. I think as far as the rotation goes on on the weekend, I think you will see the Greek scouser probably play at left back. I think you'll probably also see one of the two center backs rested against Crystal Palace, whether that is Matip or Van Dyke. I don't think you can start rolling out Joel Matip twice a week and think he will be here by Thanksgiving. Okay. Um, and I and I don't and I don't know about you guys. I think Kanate is penciled in to get his start against Norwich in the League Cup against probably a B rated team so he can have what could feel like a very dominant performance. Because Klopp always likes to get guys out there when he can in that, you know, kind of rah-rah feeling, almost like Van Dyke against Everton in the FA Cup. Yeah, I really think that Norwich game we will see, you know, like Gomez and kind of like in the part of defense to give, you know, Van Dyke and Matip a rest. That's, I mean, clearly our best starting duo right now. And it might change over the season. But, yeah, let's keep Matip healthy, which are kind of – which is a tricky thing to do, but we should. I mean, just this game, I thought he was probably like our best player on the field. I mean, he contributed he's the so, goal. He's so underrated. Like, he's the reason we scored that goal. Like, yes, yes. I mean, he pressed up so high 
and got the ball wide to Trent. Trent swings it in. Like, it's just so amazing to watch him, like, like just gallop up there like an unleashed giraffe. Well, he just glides. Yeah, it's just like it's the, the, the gangliest, weirdest thing you've ever seen, but it's also breathtaking. Like, it needs to be, like, narrated by David Attenborough. Like, it's so, it's, it's so awesome. But that's every bit the reason to wrap him up in wool and cotton and when you don't need to use him because you know how, how valuable he is. I think, I think it is 37 consecutive times he's started for Liverpool that they haven't lost. That's wild. Really? I mean, I thought it was very impressive where, you know, that's it's it. Now he's doing trivia. Yeah. Now he's on trivia now. I know he's freaking stole the no. from me. That won't have that. that. He won't have that. Then he'll have to give answers and he'll look dumb like me and you. <laughs> no, I <laughs> thought it was pretty impressive where he didn't pass the mole right away who who would have been offsides. And like, you yeah. know, the dude is great on the ball. I think he's probably in terms of maybe not long passing like Van Dyke has, but on the ball, I think he's probably our best center back, even over Gomez, who actually even sometimes plays right back. So um yeah let's freaking keep him healthy for god's sakes because yeah i i love the dude i don't know if it's just the unorthodox running uh his reactions his mannerisms he's definitely one of my favorites so let's do some predictions <laughs> by the way darren o'connor says instead of putting trent in midfield let's put gazelle mets up in there which hey, why not why shoka did it that's where he, I was going to say that was a big part of his when he was in Germany. A big part was he was a six. He was a holding mid. He was a defensive midfielder that could make plays from the back. Honestly, I would love to go back and watch those games because I could watch him run as a six all <laughs> game long. <laughs> that, that would be that would be the just, thing. Is that a camera just on him running? Just imagine, watch. imagine those facial expressions as he just looked at his teammates and craziness as referees made calls. If you got to see his face at all angles, it would be, it, it would be t-shirt worthy. Well, let's get some score predictions. Bickler, as always, we'll start with you with your positive attitude today. Uh, give us a score prediction for both games while you're at it. Uh, uh, Champions League and Crystal Palace at home. 2-0. Uh, good guys are Stacey Milan. Um, and let's go <clears throat> tough, man. I want to go clean sheet on the weekend, but I'll go three, one versus palace. Like it. What do you have there? Galley? Uh, I'm going to go two, one against AC Milan. Um, as long as it's not Ibrahimovic that scores, everything will be okay there. And I'll say, I'm not going to say the same scoreline as Paul, so I'll go four-one on the weekend uh, at home uh, or against Palace. Well, I'll then mix up what you guys have going there. I I say two-one on Wednesday and then three-one at home against Palace. I have no shame in my game. I'll copy scores from you guys. Uh, so let's uh, on the way out. We have to talk about this because while we're talking here, one of the topics going on the Facebook page is. Who wins in a bare knuckle fight, Van Dyke or Ibrahimovic? So we have to weigh in on this. <laughs> Gally, who do you have? Well, I mean, this is ridiculous. You're on, you're on a, <laughs> one, one only Jamie asks who wins in a bare knuckle fight. I mean, is this like straight? Like, is Van Damme gonna break out like the glass in the in the in the side streets? Um, I. Just pick a side. <laughs> the problem is, is this a Liverpool podcast? So I should say Van Dyke all day long. I just have a hard time believing that Zlatan would lose that fight. But I will say that Virgil will win purely because he's younger. And I believe he is much, much smarter. Dude, like how can you ever say that VVD would lose anything? Like my thing is like Zlatan is essentially Ronaldo with a sense of humor. Like I think like they would get in a fight. And VVD would win just by making fucking sweet defensive moves. Like, Zlatan would, like, swing at him, and, like, VVD would accidentally, like, duck to pick something up, and, like, Zlatan would, like, smash his fist behind him and, like, break his arm. And, like, it'd be over. Like, VVD would just casually win by being cool, like, essentially. 
that's a great DVD. That's a great point, but I'd also argue the fact that if you actually weigh things on the old fight scale, which is who looks like they would be able to handle themselves more in a fight and who looks like they've been in more fights than the other one, my gut tells me Zlatan has had to fight a few more wow. times in his life than Virgil. Because Virgil Maybe. doesn't look like a guy that actually enlists a fight often. Maybe, but Zlatan's also the dude that talks a bunch of shit that's never done anything. Well, yeah. I'm still not on a football pitch, on the street. Yeah, I can see Zlatan fighting dirty, like pulling out a knife or a gun or something like that. That was was kind of where I was going. There's actually a really great documentary about Zlatan. It was on Netflix, I don't know if it's still on there. (laughs) I would recommend watching that because that dude has been crazy since he was a teenager. So uh, he has definitely a lot of experience in fights. Well, thank you all for joining and listening today. This is the kind of expertise you can expect out of the american scouser podcast on a weekly basis we do therapy we do fight forecasting we do it all over here thanks to all for joining and like i say if you want to join us live we're on every monday night on facebook page as well as youtube but you can always listen to us as a podcast afterwards as well gentlemen thanks for joining me and we'll see everybody next week hopefully after two more wins take care guys